Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to see you um, on yet another evening. We've had two good evenings so far, and I certainly hope that tonight is as good in here that t- as it was last night. Um, let me introduce myself. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Peter Dundee, a recent graduate of the Reformed Theological College, and I am working with the church here in Clock Mills for the next six months. And we come to consider the very serious question of, is this it? Is what we can see, hear, taste, touch, smell, feel, is that all there is? Or is there something more to life? Is there something to look forward to in life? And we're doing this by turning to God's Word and looking at Psalm 19. And I hope you've got the sheets of paper in front of you with the Psalms printed on it. Um, And we want to begin this evening by reading Psalm 19. This is God's word. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and droppings of the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. And before we come to think about these words, excuse me, that's me dropping my dropping my watch. Before we come to consider these words, keeping our seats, we bow our heads before God. Let us pray. (coughs) 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you once more for this glorious evening that reminds us of your power and your beauty in creation. We thank you, Father, that we can look at creation and that we can see something of you. But we thank you that whenever we look in your word, we see even more of you. So, Father, this evening as we come to look into your word, we pray that we would look and that we would see you as God, that we would understand you more, that we would come to worship you more purely, and that you would be glorified. Be with us now, Father, in all that is thought, in all that is said, in all that is done, and may you and you alone be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yesterday evening we considered the first six verses of this psalm and we looked at the matter of creation. Of how creation is like a signpost that points us to God. It's something that is above and beyond us. Something that we can't fully understand. But it is only a signpost. It does only point us towards that which we cannot understand. That is God. Unless God chooses to show himself to us. And so this evening we come to verses 7 through to 11 of this particular psalm. Which talks about the word of God. God revealing himself to us so that not only is God pointed to by creation so we ask ourselves the question is this it? No it's not. There's something more. There's something much more significant and that is God. Creation points to that. But how do we know God? How do we come to have that relationship with God? Is creation all that there is pointing to God? No. The word of God points to God. The Bible and the revelation of God in Christ Jesus points to God. And so we come to consider Psalm 19 verses 7 to 11 this evening. The other day I was listening to an interview on the radio with a a local politician. The interviewer was asking him questions about some of the issues that are very current at the moment, such as same-sex marriage, abortion, and so on. These issues that are generating so much discussion, both this side of the border and the other side of the border. The politician said that he had heard his nine-year-old son say whenever he heard about these discussions, but daddy, there isn't only one truth. Doesn't that betray a mindset that we see all around us today? That there isn't only one truth. That what you believe to be true may be true for you, but it doesn't have to be what I believe to be true. 
And we can all believe something that we would insist is true, even though those things are contradictory and conflicting. That assertion by a nine-year-old boy that there is only one truth, or there isn't only one truth, rather, went unchallenged. And I thought, no wonder that people are so confused. No wonder that people are so inconsistent in their thoughts. For the simple reason that there is nothing to put limits or control upon those thoughts. We can think and we can believe what we like. But if we consider that just for a moment, if we think of the implications of that, surely we're brought to this question. Is this it? Surely there has to be something that is solid, that is firm, that makes sense of the world around us, that causes us to understand what the world, what people, what the world is, what people are, and why the world is like it is, and why people are as they are. And that's why coming to Psalm 19 is so important. Because there is a voice in creation that declares God, declares the glory of God, that points towards God. But there is another voice at work which tells us something about God. That is, through his word, through the revelation of God to us. And it is through his word that we come to know God. And we come to know His truth. The one truth that each of us needs to come to know. The one truth that makes sense of people and makes sense of the world and the way things are. There are so many voices competing for our attention at the moment. There is that constant chatter of social media where you can just sit even where you are now and, and put your opinion out there and it will reach every corner of the world. It's a thing that is, has the potential to do so much good. But so often what is posted on social media is nasty and vindictive and indeed downright untrue and we are left in the situation well in all this noise amongst all these competing truths what are we to believe what is it that we are to take hold of here is the truth here in God's word is what we must hear and what we must obey Well, what makes the difference between God's word and all those truths that are right there? Let me make three points quickly. Three things to say about this. First of all, his truth carries authority. His truth carries authority. Why should you believe what God's word says? Why should you think this truth is any more serious or, or authoritative than anybody else's truth or what they claim to be true? Again, turning back to my days as a school teacher a number of 
years ago I happened to have a, a little interaction with a boy, let me say that. And the boy, he was only a wee nip of a lad about this height. And I was telling him off about something. I can't remember why I was telling him off. But he screwed up his face and he looked at me and he says, Why should I listen to you? You're not the boss of me. And indeed, why should he listen to me? He was right in many ways. I had limited authority within limited within a limited context and as soon as he walked out the school gate he was outside of my authority and I had no influence over him and could have no influence over him I wasn't the boss of him but people can carry that attitude into their whole lives and think well nobody's the boss of me I'm an individual I make my own choices nobody can direct me in a particular direction nobody has the authority to say you have to do this you have to go this way but what we see in God's word this evening what we see God in God's word declared most clearly is that God has the authority. If I may put it this way, God is the boss. Creation declares it. It says, I am greater than you. I am more powerful than you. I am beyond you. I am above you. I am separate from you. You listen to me. And his word confirms it. And so his word must be heard. And it must be heeded. And if there's anything that you learn tonight, if there's anything that you take from what is being said tonight that can apply to your life, there it is. God's word has authority. You must hear it and you must heed it. Look at how the authority is confirmed and affirmed within these particular verses. Here God's word is described as his law, his testimony, his precepts, his commandment. It leads to his fear, his rules, his judgments. These are things that are serious, that are authoritative. These are things that cannot be ignored. I cannot step into my car and drive out that gate and go herring down the road at 90 miles an hour. I may want to do it. I may make the choice to do it. But I'm breaking the law. And if that policeman is there or one of those wee white fans are there, then I have to pay the fine. I have to take hold of the penalty. I have broken the law. And whether we like it or not, we are ruled by the law that God lays down. And if we break God's law, then there is a penalty that is to be paid. So when we hear God's word here, when we listen to this, something serious is being said. Whenever God speaks in this way, he doesn't make a timid approach. He doesn't wander up behind us and give us that we tap on the shoulder and say, just excuse me. Would you kindly consider incorporating my point of view in your life? 
He doesn't mumble some words of advice, how we are to live, it would be a good idea if you would do this. He doesn't even tell us, well, here are your six steps to happiness. God comes and he shakes us. He takes us by the lapels and says, this is my law. You have to hear it and you must obey it. Because even though we may not like authority, even though we may like to think of ourselves as individuals, we must approach God on his terms, not on our terms. Now that may sound harsh, that may sound hard, and it's so different to the way we think nowadays. But whenever we think of God having this authority and his word having this authority, this is how we must approach God. But don't think of this as a harsh thing. Don't think of this as even being something that may harm you in some way. Notice the positive aspect, the positive effect of his word. His word revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. It is true and righteous altogether. It is demanding, yes. But it is not harsh. Because if we want to know the answer to this question, if we want to see this reality being in our lives of of having purpose, having meaning, we must hear God's word and we must obey it. It's not a cold and hard truth. In John 1.14 we read this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because this is not cold, hard rules that we follow. This is not something that we simply have to take on board and go along with mechanically. No, the Word became flesh. The very revelation of God became man. And we could look at him the way I'm looking at you now. That is Jesus Christ. The one who had the authority of God because he is God. And Jesus didn't tell his followers, follow these rules. He said, follow me. And that's the most important thing. We follow Christ. We look to Christ. We obey Christ because Christ is the one who carries this truth. He is the Word. So we see His truth carries authority. The second thing I want to say is this His truth contains warnings. His truth contains warnings verse 11 the psalmist says whenever he's talking about this moreover by them that is the words that God speaks your servant is warned so not only are we being told here is something with authority that we have to to follow we're also being told this 
is why you must follow them. There are implications for you in following them. And there are implications for you in not following them. If you were to wander up to something like a a high tension pylon or an electrical substation you would see huge signs in front of you saying danger keep out and standing in front of those signs the choice is very simple I'm standing in front of this pylon and I'm thinking oh I wonder how high I could get on that Let's forget about this sign. I go over the fence. I climb the pylon. In doing so, I'm putting myself in danger. In doing so, I'm putting myself out of the arms of safety and even endangering my life. That's what warnings are for. That's what they're there for. They're not to put us off something that is good and wholesome. They're there to put us off something that is harmful and will do us damage. And so the law of God that comes with authority is something that speaks to us for our good. And so the simple choice is there. Do I follow this or not? Do I obey or not? If I obey, I follow the path of safety. If I do not, I put myself in danger. And so we stand before the word of God this evening. We hear these terms of law, testimony, precepts, the word of God being spoken. And we may not like to think, well, I don't want to be limited by that. I don't want to be held back. It might crush my individuality or something like that. But hold on. These are here for our good because, as I was saying last night, it is for our good that we follow the Maker's instructions. It is for our good that we follow the Word of God. It's for our good that we look to Christ, that we follow Him, that we obey Him. It may not be easy, but it is for our good. That's the nature of the warning, and that's why it must be be taken seriously so what is it that the law warns us about what is it that this word this truth warns us about well it warns us to just choose several things it warns us of our own inherent sinfulness Romans 3.23 says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God How do we know that we sin? How do we know that we've fallen short of the glory of God? We look at God's word. We see the law, his testimony, his precepts. And we see that we do not match up to the standards God demands. We see that we fail at each and every turn. We see that we cannot possibly reach those standards. And we know that that sinfulness that is within each and every one of us, it's within me as much as it is in any of you. And we see with that inherent sinfulness how that affects every part of our being. 
every part of our existence, and it separates us from God. And so the warning comes, do you want to stay separate from God? Do you want to be remote from God? This God, how are you going to reach Him? How are you going to reach out to Him? Praise be to God that He has reached down to you in Jesus Christ. Notice what the law of the, God, law of the Lord does in verse 7. It says it restores the soul. So there's a warning, an explanation to us. Our sin keeps us from God. But here, the law, turning to God, restores the soul. Not only does it speak of our inherent sinfulness, it also goes right down into the details of our specific sins and temptations. Have you ever wondered, after you've done something, why did I do that? What was it that made me make that choice? Why was I driven to that extent? Even though it has these consequences. Even though it's something that has done me harm. Why have I done this? Is it not an astonishing thing? And such a... And, and such a... A thing that is hard to understand. To look at somebody who is addicted to something. And they know that that behaviour is going to harm them. They know that that behaviour is going to harm those around them. They know it. They'll even speak it. They'll express it. But it doesn't stop them following through with that behaviour. Even this evening I was listening again to the radio. You'll think I listen to a lot of radio. I do actually. And there, there was a man on who is addicted to gambling. And he was speaking about how in one particular day on a simple machine in a betting shop he gambled away £2,485.45p something like that. A huge amount of money. And he described, I just couldn't stop. I just couldn't contain myself. I had to do it. It drove me on. And he, he described it as a violent addiction. How do we avoid these things? How do we keep away from this type of behavior? Well, the Word of God speaks about it. The Word of God talks about sin having dominion over people. Once it takes hold, once a behavior pattern is there, it will be followed up on over and over and over and over again. And that's why we're told here that the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It tells us to avoid these things that are going to do us harm. It tells us to step back from them. But I can't do it, you cry. Turn to God. Come to God in Christ. And that's your first step in being able to step back. So we see here that His truth contains warnings. It tells us what we should do 
that we should worship God, that we should have no other God before him, that we should consider nothing more important than God. It tells us what we should not do. It tells us that we should avoid certain things. Otherwise, we will harm ourselves and we will also offend God. So it's important that we listen to God's word. It's important that we hear God's word. It's important that we understand what is being said here. And we take heed of these warnings. But I don't want to leave it there. There's a third thing I want to to look at. A third thing which is, his truth confirms a reward. His truth confirms a reward. Again in verse 11, where the psalmist is talking about the servant being warned. He says, positively, in keeping the law, in following God, there is a great reward. And this is a wonderful thing. This is a wonderful description. Whenever we think of God's law, whenever we think of obeying God, it's understandable that we think, I can't do this. This is too hard. The struggle runs too deep. The battle is too too mighty. I am crushed by this. But we can't focus only on that challenge and the struggle that it may be to follow faithfully. Here, there is the confirmation that in keeping his word, his law, there is great reward. And what a vivid description there is here. What a clear and concise description there is. Notice how it's more to be desired than gold. What's the most precious thing you can think of? What is it that would make you feel as if you're the richest person in the world? It may be gold. It certainly was gold within the Samus culture. To have this gold, it was a symbol of wealth, of power. It was a symbol of blessing. Everything good, it had value. It had worth. But it's not only gold he's talking about. He goes on to talk, yes, much fine gold. So imagine that bank vault being over, being overfilled with gold bars. So much gold that you can't fit it in. It's coming out the door, windows, if there are such a thing in vaults, I don't know. But it's overflowing. You couldn't put in more gold if you possibly could. It's just simply crammed full. And the psalmist who is King David, the psalmist who ruled a great empire, a psalmist who who was the ruler of a great nation, who had all the wealth, who had all the honour he could possibly desire. Here he is saying, What I have is worth nothing compared to the law and the word of God. He even goes further. He uses the example of honey. He says this is sweeter than honey. Isn't it lovely to get a lovely sweet honey? 
I still love a bit of toast with slaps of butter on it and a big blob of honey in it. It's a beautiful, beautiful experience. I often have it on a Sunday evening, actually, after I've preached. But nothing is sweeter than honey. It's something that is glorious, that is good. But he doesn't even talk about the taste of honey only here. He says the honeycomb. And again here we have the picture of that honeycomb being taken from the hive. Of being filled with honey, full of honey. So much so that the honey drips from the comb. The honeycomb cannot contain this honey. And David, this man who knows the best of food, the best of wine, he says, God's word tastes better than this honey. Isn't that a wonderful thing to be able to say? Isn't that a wonderful thing to consider? If you took time to read the the information about these evenings, you would have read about the story of Ryan Giggs, the footballer. The man who had the world at his feet in every way. Skillful. Seems to be an honourable type of guy who was committed to his team, to his colleagues, who won every trophy he could possibly imagine for Manchester United. But in achieving what he achieved and reaching the heights of his career, he said, but it was empty. Once he had achieved, what was there? Now compare that with King David here. Compare that with a man who had everything. But King David was a man who would give up everything so that he could have something more. And that something more was God's truth. God's truth isn't a hard taskmaster. God's truth doesn't beat us down and seek to catch us out. God's truth is the path to peace and tranquility. It is perfect. It restores the soul in the heaviness of life. Are you heavy this evening? Are you carrying a burden? God's word restores your soul. Are you uncertain this evening? Is there something that you're scared of, you're afraid of, even tomorrow, even next week? There's something you don't know about. But it makes you toss and turn so you do not sleep properly. God's law is perfect. It restores the soul. Is there a burden of sadness upon you? Something that you don't seem to be able to shake off? A darkness that envelops you, that cocoons you so that you cannot push it away? Look at what God's word, God's law does. It rejoices the heart. And this is something that lasts forever. This is something that endures forever. It is pure. It is clean. It is true. It is righteous. It is acceptable to God. His truth confirms a reward. And that reward is this peace with God. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. The Lord Jesus said this, Come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, if we want to find that rest and that peace, We can work as hard as we possibly can. We can be as successful as we possibly can. We can be as rich as rich can be. But it will not fulfill us. It will not bring us peace. It will not bring us rest. Only in coming to Christ. Only in laying our burden down upon him and taking up his yoke will we know true peace and will we know true rest. And here's the reward of this. Here's the ultimate reward that we can look to, that we can cling to. That this rest, this peace is not only something that we know in our troubles now. But it is something that we can know and will know for the whole of eternity. (coughs) Look to Christ. Follow Christ. Obey Christ. Leave that burden of your sinful nature down. Take up his yoke, the yoke of his truth, and you will find rest for all eternity. His truth carries authority that cannot be avoided. His truth contains warnings. We know all that God demands and what will harm us by his word. His truth confirms a reward, an eternal reward of that right relationship with God. And only with that can we know true riches. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We thank you for the truth that you have given to us. And we pray, Father, that we would have the eyes to to see and to understand your truth and your word. May we take heed of the warnings that are in it as we know your demands there, Father. And and may we seek too to obey you and to follow you as we should. And we thank you too for the hope that is in your word of that eternal reward of being right with God. We thank you, Father, that you have promised us to be rich in our knowledge of you, which is the only form of wealth that is worthwhile having. May that be something that each one of us comes to know. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.